the true message of salvation. Jesus' death for sins and resurrection will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 11 and 19 through 22. One commentator expresses the importance and the impact of 1 Corinthians 15 with the following words. No human words ever written have brought such comfort to millions as the words of this chapter. It is more deeply imprinted on the memory of men because it comes to us in the most solemn hours when we have the most need of a living faith. Indeed, chapter 15 of Paul's letter to the Corinthians gives us hope. And it depicts a living faith, for it provides us with the true message of salvation, namely Jesus' death for sins and resurrection. It is true in three senses of the term. With changing effects, life-changing effects now and in eternity. So we have four parts of the message today, looking at these three truths and its impact. The first sense of this true message is that it is true because it is at the center, it is the foundation of Christianity. You have to correctly understand and believe this message before you move on to anything else. The second sense in which this message is true is that it is true according to God's plan in the scriptures. Thus, the trueness of Jesus' death and resurrection finds its roots in the Old Testament scriptures. And then the third sense in which this is true is that it happened in history. We will see eyewitness accounts given in chapter 15. These witnesses, which some of them we'll look at, have extraordinary testimony. And then lastly, because this is a true message of salvation, of Jesus' death and resurrection, those who are in Christ have the power and grace of God to live differently now and have the true and living hope of resurrection and eternal life in the future. So the first point, the first sense of this true message, it is at the center. It is the foundation of Christianity. You cannot miss this. So starting in verse 1, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, the good news I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. How good it is to be reminded of the gospel. It is good to be reminded of this good news. It is good news because it brings salvation. And it is only good news of salvation if you receive it. Like a new mother receives her newborn child in her arms. It is only good news of salvation if you stand firm upon it. Like a person standing in firm confidence on a bridge holding them above the water. It is only good news of salvation if you hold fast to it. Like someone who holds fast and remembers the encouraging words of a friend. And it is only good news of salvation if you believe it, like a child who trusts her parents when they say, Good night, do not fear, for we are here. Now, what is this good news of salvation? 
What are we to receive, stand firm, hold fast, and believe? Well, we see in, in verse 3, Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So before he gets to the good news, we see that he says this is of first importance. Before anything else, you have to get this right. Before you figure out your finances, your mortgage, your rent, your car payments, your health insurance, before you figure out what doctor to go to, which surgery to have, before you figure out how to deal with your family or your friends or your enemies, you have to figure out what is the good news of salvation and how are you going to respond. Because how you understand and respond to this good news will affect how you think and do and act in every other area of life. And not only that, this good news has everlasting, eternal consequences. So listen closely. This is the good news of salvation. In verse 3, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. This is the good news. Now, if you received another message of salvation other than this, other than Christ dying for your sins and being raised again, someone gave you the wrong message. If you were standing firm on another message other than Christ dying for your sins and being raised again, you were standing on sinking sand. As we sung earlier today, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. If you are holding fast to any other message than Christ dying for your sins and being raised again, that message would only lead to disappointment. Disappointment now and for eternity. If you believed any other message than Christ dying for your sins and being raised again, that message cannot take away your fear. It cannot bring salvation. For salvation only comes through receiving, standing firm, holding fast, and believing that Jesus is the Christ, God, Savior, and King, who died for your sins and was raised again. Now I understand, for some of you today, I am asking you quite a lot. I'm asking you to change the foundational belief of your life. It's not easy to let go of a message that you may have been holding on to so dearly, perhaps for your whole life. For some, you may have been trying to stand on your own good works, trying to be the best person you can be, so that maybe, just maybe, God would accept you. You have to let go of that false message because your good works cannot earn you forgiveness. Being a good person cannot earn you God's acceptance. It is only through Jesus' death and resurrection can we be made right with God. And some of you today may be holding on to another false message of salvation. Perhaps a message that denies that Jesus had to die for our sins. Some of you may have been taught or come to believe that God does not punish sin. Instead, some of you may think that God is loving and He would not punish someone for their disobedience. 
And I understand why many people come to that belief. For God is loving, and he desires all people to be saved. 1 Timothy 2.4 But you have to ask yourself then, what do we need to be saved from? We need to be saved, namely, from our sins. Or in other words, we need to be saved from the righteous punishment for our disobedience, the punishment that our sins deserve. This is why Jesus had to die. This is why he came to die for our sins. He took the punishment that we deserved. Without the belief and trust in Jesus' sacrificial death, there is no salvation. So I pray and I urge everyone here to truly consider these words of Scripture, that this really is the true message of salvation. I pray that everyone would come to receive, stand firm, hold fast, believe this true message of salvation. Our second part today, we'll look at the true message because it is true according to the Scriptures. We understand the nature of salvation. We understand Jesus' death, what it means. What does it mean for him to die for our sins by looking at the Old Testament? For verse 3 says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. So throughout the Old Testament, you can see the result of sin and the need for atonement, the need for forgiveness, the sacrificial system of the temple, the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of the people. We saw this briefly last week when we saw Jesus as the suffering servant depicted in Isaiah 53, 5. For it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Jesus was the sacrificial lamb. That is what his death pictures. That is what his death accomplishes. He brings us into peace with God. One commentator also points out how in Pauline theology, this includes not only forgiveness of past sins, but in a very real sense, deliverance from the bondage of one's sinfulness. So in other words, we are saved from the punishment of sin, but we are also saved from the slavery of sin. We are free to serve God and live holy lives in communion together with each other and with God. Just as Jesus' death for sins was according to the Scriptures, so it is with His resurrection. We look in verse 4. It says that Jesus was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And we can look at a couple themes, a couple passages in the Old Testament that depict vindication or victory occurring on the third day. For example, Hosea 6.2. After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will restore us, that we, that we may live in his presence. Maybe more specifically to the Messiah, we see a passage like Jonah. Jonah 1.17. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is an important passage because Jesus compares himself to Jonah in Matthew 12, 40. Jesus says, For just as Jonah was, in th was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, he's the Son of Man, 
Be, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. We also see in Psalm 1610, this may be pointing to Jesus' resurrection as well. For it says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. These themes of dying for sins and vindication, victory and resurrection can be seen in the Old Testament and are recorded in the Scriptures in the New Testament as well in the four Gospels. And again, there are numerous other false messages that people may be holding on to, other foundations of sinking sand. You may be holding on to another God from another religion or the belief that there is no God. But perhaps, is it possible that the God of the Bible is real and that He has orchestrated the events in your life to bring you to hear the message today? I ask you to take an honest look at who Jesus is and what He has done. Specifically in our passage today, how Jesus was raised from the dead. And this is what our third part of the sermon will be, the trueness that the resurrection happened in history. The physical death and the physical resurrection was witnessed and reported for us here in chapter 15. And we will see some of these witnesses have an extraordinary testimony. Picking back up in verse 5, 1 Corinthians 15. And that he appeared, that is Jesus, the resurrected Lord, appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. While these verses provide very good evidence for Jesus' resurrection, it is also very interesting that, as one commentator points out, Paul is not here setting out to prove the resurrection of Jesus. Rather, he is reasserting the commonly held belief, the commonly held ground from which he will argue against their assertion that there is no resurrection of the dead. Because Paul's whole argument in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-11 reaches its main point in verse 12. For it says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So in other words, Paul is basically taking it for granted that the church at Corinth, the believers, they, they trusted, they believed that Jesus rose from the dead. But some in their church were questioning whether they themselves would be raised from the dead. Paul will argue that we will be raised, Believers will be raised because Christ was raised from the dead. So Paul explains and reiterates this commonly held belief of the church that Jesus was raised from the dead. And he also provides good evidence of the resurrection from eyewitness accounts. For, for instance, verse 6, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So at the time when Paul was writing this letter, you could go ask these eyewitnesses, hey, did you really see the resurrected Jesus? That's why he mentions that there. He also mentions how some of them uh, were, had fallen asleep. What does that mean, they've fallen asleep? 
So Paul uses this as a metaphor to depict Christian's death. So Paul goes on to talk about this falling asleep more clearly in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. He says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So, unless Jesus comes back, all will die a physical death. So, but for those who believe in Jesus as their God, Savior, and King, this death will be as unto sleep and awakening into new life because of Jesus' resurrection to life. Paul also points out in verse 7, we see a, an extraordinary testimony, how Jesus appeared to James. What is amazing about James' story is that James was Jesus' half-brother and was among his brothers that did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah at first in John chapter 7, verse 5. But at some point, maybe at this appearance of Jesus' resurrection, James came to believe and eventually became a leader in the church in Jerusalem. I mean, that's amazing. Because could you imagine convincing your little brother that you are the promised Messiah, the Son of God? <laughs> I mean, I have a little brother, and we had a good time growing up together, and we got along, but that would be a whole other thing to try to convince him that I'm God, that I'm the Messiah. It just would not happen. But it did for James. James saw Jesus grow up, and he didn't believe at first. But because he saw the resurrected Jesus, he believed. Another person that Paul mentions that the resurrected Jesus appears to is himself. And like the story of James, the fact that Paul became a follower of Jesus is amazing. For look at what Paul himself says in verse 8. He says, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Paul persecuted the church of God. He persecuted people that believed in and followed Jesus. He threw them in jail. And he was even there holding the coats of those who stoned Stephen to death. And as Acts chapter 8 verse 1 says, And Saul approved of his execution. Paul would be the last person you would expect to believe in Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. But Jesus' resurrection and his appearance to Paul changed Paul's life forever. And from the context of verse 8 and 9, we see that Paul is depicting himself as unworthy. He is unworthy to be considered an apostle. He's the least of the apostles. But nevertheless, in the midst of his weakness, in the midst of his sin, Jesus appeared to Paul and changed his life forever. And God is still working today. He is working to change enemies into friends. Which leads us to our last point, the fourth point, of how this true message of salvation, Jesus' death and resurrection, 
gives to those in Christ the power and grace of God to live differently now and gives us the true and living hope of resurrection and eternal life in the future. And this change in Paul's life is attributed to the grace of God. For in in verse 10, he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me is not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. This is one of my favorite verses of all time because it really sums up well the Christian life. We are who we are by God's grace. It is His free gift of salvation. But it doesn't stop there. That grace works in us. It is not in vain. It is not without effect. It is not empty. But the grace works in us so that we can work hard. So listen, we don't work hard to earn our salvation We are saved by grace through faith so that then we can work hard. Let me say that again. We don't work hard to earn our salvation. We are saved by grace through faith so that we can work hard. And after you work hard for the Lord, you serve His church, you encourage others in the faith, you share with others the truth of the gospel. After all your good deeds for people and for God, Don't pat yourself on the back and say, look at all the good things I did. Instead, we should say, as Paul says, it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. As Chrysostom said long ago, church father, on this passage, he says, as we hear these words, let us parade our weaknesses and keep silent about our successes And if we are forced to mention our successes, let us do so with humility and attribute everything to the grace of God. And at the end of the paragraph, in verse 11, Paul mentions this. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and you also believed. He is reiterating again that this gospel he has preached is not just from him but is the gospel held in common by all who believe in the Christ? So the same is true for us today. And as I look out here and people watching online, I would love every one of you to be part of our church, working together to proclaim the gospel of Christ as we grow together as disciples and serve each other and serve others. But we recognize, as Paul also did, that we are not the only church proclaiming the truth of the gospel. Our prayer is that you would believe this gospel that we're proclaiming today, then find a group of people who also believe this gospel. And there are a lot of good churches out there that are teaching the truth, but I want you to be discerning. I want you to make sure what they are saying and what they are doing aligns with the truth of Scripture. For once you are saved from your sins, God doesn't stop there. You are saved into a family, the family of God. So find a local family of God where you can serve and where you can grow in the truth. Whether that be here or somewhere else. So Paul goes on to conclude that because Christ has been raised 
we too will be raised to eternal life. Look at verse 19, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of, the, of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So we do have hope in this life. We are made free from the power of sin to live lives holy and to God. But that is not all. Jesus' death and resurrection affects our eternal life as well. We are all in Adam. The first man, his sin. We are all in him in the sense that we have a sinful nature. We all sin. And our, our sin deserves righteous punishment from a holy God. But this is the good news. That those who are in Christ will be made alive. This is our eternal and sure hope. God was faithful to raise Christ from the dead. He will be faithful to raise those who are in Christ from the dead. Another church father, Gregory of Nyssa, commenting on this passage, points out the divine mystery of the resurrection when he writes, This is the mystery of God's plan concerning death and the mystery of the resurrection from the dead. God does not prevent the inevitable natural course by which death releases the soul from the body, but he brings them back together by the resurrection so that he himself becomes the meeting point of both of them, of death and of life. As Mark comes up to lead us in our hymn of response to God's word, I want to leave you with this final question. Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? Are you in sin and a life of disobedience, untrusting, unbelieving in Jesus? Or, or are you in grace, grace that empowers to work hard, live obedient, trusting in Jesus as your God, Savior, and King? If you are not in Christ today, I plead with you to take an honest look at the evidence of Scripture, at the evidence of Jesus' resurrection. Consider these stories of how James and Paul came to believe. Please trust in Jesus' death for your sins. Receive new life now and life eternity. If you already are in Christ, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord anew for His grace. Keep the faith. Keep trusting. Keep growing. Work hard. Serve the Lord by His grace by getting involved in God's family, the church.